Hey everyone, the episode you're about to listen to is one of the very first ones that we did, and the sound recording is not that great. It took us a little bit to hit our stride, and we enjoyed these first episodes, but they maybe aren't our strongest ones. So we've got some better equipment and honed our skills. The recording quality gets a lot better around episode 10. Stick it out, keep listening, it gets better from here. I'm Ben, and you're listening to the Sound Logic Podcast. This is Mike. Each episode, we discuss one of music's greatest albums from Rolling Stone Magazine's Top 500 list. Brought to you by two guys with no credentials. Yeah, I'm glad you could join us. Uh, yeah, thanks, pretty, thanks so much for having me on. That's awesome. Pretty tired of just Mike, so. Uh, Come on, I mean. That's, that's understandable. It's <laughs> not nice. Come on. <laughs> Everyone needs comic relief. <laughs> <laughs> we're in it for the jokes <laughs> that's awesome we just really enjoy getting together and chatting i mean we've talked ben more in the last uh, month than we've talked probably in two or three years which is awesome probably so, since high school <laughs> oh, <laughs> <ooh>. <laughs> um but yeah and we're really happy to have you uh be a part of this because you know you're just an, an extension into that great conversation well yeah so we had this idea to tackle the Rolling Stone top 500 album list. And I guess maybe the best place to start is had Dustin, have you ever uh, spent any time with this Rolling Stone top 500 album list? Yeah. So I, I, I'm definitely familiar. I, it's, it's funny when you guys started doing this, um, I, I was trying to think back and I think the list first came out in 2003. Is that right? Yes. Correct. Three or so four. That, yeah, at that yeah. time, so 2003, 2004, whenever it was that came out, first of all, I was fully subscribed to Rolling Stone at the time, you know, <laughs> back when you would actually read print magazines. So that was definitely a huge thing. And um, and the this was this would have been the peak of my uh, enjoyment of what I'm going to sort of say is like the classic rock genre. Even though this list goes beyond that, I would sort of say it's classic rock centric. Yes. And and this was this was the peak of my enjoyment of Zeppelin and the Stones. And that was when we went to yeah. SARS stock. And, you know, there's just so much stuff that around this this time that when this list came out in 03 or 04, I I just devoured it. Like I was completely enamored with, you know, hmm. looking at the rankings and seeing who was where and, and how it, it played against my own personal feelings on it. So, yes, I did not keep up with it, I'll be honest, because I think my taste in music kind of moved on mm-hmm. from a lot of this stuff, but, um, but I, I did not keep up with it, but I definitely at the time, especially the early iterations, of the list, I was hugely invested in, you know, in that way you are about something that you have no control over. You're, you're hugely, uh, offended or, you know, inspired by the fact you're like, yeah, I ranked this right there. That's right on with what I believe. <laughs> uh, you're stirring up some memories in me. I think I, my first impulse was to scan it quickly to see how many U2 albums were on it because that, <laughs> At the time, that was how I judged anything, was uh, how they treated you two. Um, but then, and then there was like this status too of like, okay, so five hundred albums. How many of these have I actually listened to? And I think it yes. was a pretty depressing thing in two thousand and four when most of the music I'd been listening to up to that point was uh, Christian punk and ska. To find out that there wasn't all that much music on the list that I was very familiar. There's with. There's not a lot so, of MXPX on that list. I'll tell no, you, hard to hard to believe. But. Vaguely, uh, uh, it's majorly underrepresented. Yeah, <laughs> I think it might actually be perfectly represented. Let's be honest. 
<laughs> Am I remembering, Dustin, you had a pretty solid vinyl collection at this point in time? I, I Yeah, I did. So I, at that point, was probably on my way up of accumulating significant amounts of vinyl at one time. So back then, I probably would have had about 300. At my peak, I had somewhere between eight and 900 uh, vinyl albums. Wow. And I've since, wow. since pared it down to about... Um, 50, I would say about 50 albums that are, that are in my vinyl collection. Just, you know, how things are. I, I really, mm-hmm. I couldn't justify keeping stuff that I listen to so little, especially when it's so accessible. Yeah. I pay for a Google play subscription yeah. that allows me to access all of that music. So aside from keeping, and I think Ben, you'll appreciate this. I still have most of my YouTube vinyl. I think I, <laughs> I think that was, cause that's a huge nostalgia one for me. But aside from that, like I really, I just kept a few albums that were important to me and then, you know, just kind of try to have less, I guess. But, you know, at the time I had a ton of vinyl. When we were on the road uh, picking corn, we'd often, you know, on our free days, we'd often go music shopping. Uh, but I think we also hit up thrift stores. And I remember you rifling through the, the vinyl to see if there was anything of value, you know, that you could get for a buck or something like that. Um, was most of the music that you have on vinyl classic albums or did it, was it right up to modern stuff as well that, you know, bands still it, print occasionally? It was heavily, heavily uh, classic albums because at the time, and this, this I, I, don't, I don't think this would even be possible now because vinyl's got its collector status back. But at the time, you could go to um, Salvation Army and there was a glut of vinyl and I could, I could, you could pick it off for 25 cents an album. And, yeah. <laughs> and I was getting, you know, classic uh, guess who and stones and, uh, Jethro Tull and just any, any number of bands that, you know, they weren't just, you know, uh, the 22, uh, organ hits of Christmas. Like it was, it was actually, which is what all the final at those stores is now. But at the time you could get really classic albums. I found a, a box of about 40 vinyls on the side of the road one time because there was so little value that people just threw it away, you know? So, <laughs> So yeah, so most of it was definitely heavy to classic. I I did accumulate, I did collect some newer stuff that I purchased, you know, at Full Pop because it was it was a band I really liked or something like that. But for the most part, it was really just collecting old albums, uh, especially that would would heavily be represented by what's on this list. And uh, maybe the most painful thing to ask then: what happened to the eight hundred and fifty albums you got rid of? Uh, like I said, the, the the truth was in. Uh, for this is a probably whole other discussion we could have, but I've really tried to embrace some element of minimalism in my life. So I've really tried to reduce, uh, the things that I own. I try not to be a keeper of objects, you know, a steward of just stuff. So, so for me, I was, I was really trying to pare down and, and not, not just have a bunch of things that really like they sat in my furnace room on a shelf doing nothing. And I, I really, I ended up just selling them. There was a bunch that were, um, pretty significant or pretty uh, collectible, I guess. So I was able to find people that wanted to buy them pretty quickly. And then the rest of them, I just kind of packaged up and sold them in a bulk lot. But, um, but the funny thing was in going through it all and setting aside the stuff that I really wanted, I actually listen to my vinyl more now because I've identified a bunch of stuff that I was passionate about and, and really set that stuff aside as opposed to just having a, an overwhelming amount of it that I'm never going to check out, you know, so it's, it's been good. We're really happy to have you uh, be a part of this. Well, the great, the great thing from my perspective, just in listening to it as a listener is it's, 
Um, it's a ton of fun. And I feel like I'm hanging out with you guys. I mean, I'm unable to speak Aww. when I'm listening, but, um, but no, but like, it's great to hear you guys talking and it feels like a conversation. And, and I kind of made a note here too, whether you want to include it in the podcast, it just, it reminds me a bunch of working in the field with you guys and having these conversations about albums. Cause we had a ton of unstructured, well, structured time in terms of what we're doing, yeah. but conversationally, we just, it was just kind of like, Hey, you know, a song comes on the radio. What does this remind you of? Oh, this is the story I heard about right. this. Just little anecdotes. And it's such a great extension of that. And there's nowhere else in my life that I have now that, that we do that. You know, it's not something that I'm sitting around just chatting sort of casually about albums I love or albums I know. Uh, that can happen when you mo- walk methodically for 10 hours a day side by side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something's bound to happen, right? It could have been that or it could have been something else. <laughs> Throwing a few children into the mix, I think, uh, mixes up your opportunities to wander for 10 hours a day, too. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that I yes. don't want to do that anymore, that's another part of the reason why. <laughs> no. no, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> How do you introduce yourself these days, Dustin? Um, Consigliere Dustin Colewood the fourth. No, um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I just I'm, I'm Dustin Wood. Uxbridge's favorite son? No, definitely not. Probably their least favorite. But uh, I, <laughs> um, no, I'm uh, Dustin Wood, father of five kids, and uh, a pretty much fully retired musician now, but still an avid uh, music listener and a very passionate music historian in a very casual way. Casual, but passionate music historian. Oh, that one sentence gave me like five questions to ask you. Okay, so oh, that's nerve-wracking. The, the first piece was almost fully retired musician. You you are sort of uh, the friend of ours that made it the farthest in terms of uh, actually recording in a studio, having an album that you could buy in a record store, even getting radio play. Um, what was that journey like for you as a musician to – to you know, almost be moving into a direction that felt like perhaps this would be your your full time job, and and has it been sort of beyond that? Now you're at the point of saying you're almost fully retired. Um, do you look back on that moment like you look back on corn picking? You know, really glad that it's over, or do you look <laughs> back on that moment saying, "I wonder what could have been"? Or um, you know, it it really it really is a. Uh, it's really a bittersweet sort of look back. I can't honestly say that um, I have any really significant regrets other than the fact that I wasn't able to make a career out of it. That's the truth. I didn't go into it, you know, with a sort of uh, half-assed approach to it. I really did want to make a career out of it and I I didn't. And that, that was disappointing, but I, I can't tell you the number of people that are still in my life as a result of that, career yeah. uh, you know my wife and in, in particular julia we met when i was playing a concert um so so it was a huge huge part of my life that i if i just took it out it would be i would not be the same person you know and the connections i made and the friends i made and all the all the other stuff that um that comes with it was was is still very very valuable to me um but you know the the reality of it is that that my vantage point on the music industry uh, changed significantly. And one of the things that I always talked about, uh, post post music career was that it, it took a lot of, 
uh, deprogramming to casually listen to music again. You spend so much of your time mm-hmm. right. uh, digesting music almost from a very methodical, very institutional way where you're listening to to hear certain parts or to hear how it's constructed. And to be a passive listener of music was really difficult. And it, it took me a long time to kind of unpack all that. And, you know, yeah. now I, I definitely would say I'm pretty much at that point, but it really it really changed how I heard music. And there's still moments when, when I'm listening to music where I, I, I feel myself sort of uh, deconstructing and analyzing it again. Um, but, but for, for, like I say, in terms of being what I call almost retired beyond somebody, the occasional reach out where I get asked to play something, I really choose not to, not to play music much anymore, just because it's, um, it's a huge time sink. And although I love it, I, I have other passions and other career uh, ambitions and other things I'm focused on, you know, and now yeah. I have my kids who are just getting into their, my oldest guys are 12, going to be 13 this spring. So I'm getting into teaching them instruments and, and uh, getting them sort of building their love for music, which is, it's, it's significantly, I'd even describe it as more rewarding than my own journey, you know? So that's, that's exciting for me. Uh, so for those who don't know, Dustin was in a band called Grand PM. And I remember you guys talking at one point about your cut from the different ways that albums were sold. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it had to do sort of like, you know, if you buy something from us at a concert, that's when we get the biggest amount. If you buy something from the record store, we get less. And if you download our music through iTunes or something, we get even a fraction of that. And I guess that was in an era before Spotify. So, you know, that's one level even lower where, yeah. you know, albums are making like fractions of pennies um, when people stream them now. Um, but I imagine that has shaped how you understand music as well. You know, the industry behind it, not just the recording process, not just how it's created and crafted, but the the machine that's moving it along. Well, the, the economics of of the business were probably the most uh, discouraging aspect of being in the industry, frankly. And I think that one of the one of the most it, it's that double edged sword of the rise of technology leveled the playing field for amateur and you know garage musicians to get their music recorded and get it out there which is great and there's a ton of bands we wouldn't have heard of unless they've been able to do that but at the same time it creates a saturation in the marketplace there's a ton of music and it's lost its value recorded music is significantly devalued just because of the abundance of supply like there's just too much out there and and it's really it really trickles down in every aspect of the business and if you are able to record it, there's always somebody willing to produce an album cheaper, always someone willing to play a show for free, always somebody willing to give away more and more of the music, whether it's in terms of the rights to the recording, the residuals on the royalties, all that stuff. There's just less and less that people are willing to take in order to get their music heard. And and that was that was a big thing where it just seemed like a race to the bottom. We we were we signed a record deal in 2006 I think it was I think it was 2006 we signed a record deal which included a, an advance that was in the five figures uh, and at the time for an indie band that was that seemed like a decent amount of money but most of the, all of that money none of it was pocketed all of that money went into the recording and the promotion and everything else and when you divide it amongst four guys I, I don't even remember the number I want to say it was like 50,000 bucks or something it just there was nothing. I did, we did not. I don't. The 
the adventure of being in a band was a giant money loser. It really was. There was at no point did we, did we make a ton of money. It was really, we had to either achieve uh, significant high levels of stardom and really be making money to, in order for it to be profitable or everything else is just a passion project. And at a certain point, you know, you, you want to just, you know, it's hard to keep a group of four or five guys together all uh, rowing the same direction when, you know, there's just, it's understandable. There's life pressures that come up, you know, you want to move on at some point, you know, you want to buy a house or you want to get married or you want to have kids and there's no such thing as a sustainable income for a musician, you know, I, I think anywhere, but in Canada, especially. So it was, it was, yeah, it was just time to move on. I'm, I'm just really, Dustin, I'm really excited to have you here. Uh, not only cause you know, you're a good friend and, and we're excited to talk about this, but to have your perspective from that little window you have from within side the industry and from the recording side because that's certainly something that ben and i don't have and i think that sheds a really interesting light on on this music you hear it differently you understand it in a different way and i'm really excited that we get to hear that perspective i know that you said you had some bittersweet feelings i could certainly appreciate that and i can hear that in the way you talk about it that you really enjoyed it but there were so many challenges so i'm just really excited to get that perspective from you because that's absolutely uh, as much as you know ben and i add so much into this podcast from our experiences but um yeah well i'm (laughs) i'm uh by the way I'm I'm super, super happy to to chime in and I don't want to overstate the uh, significance of what I achieved in terms of music. It it was really, um, like you said, I was maybe the best, the the most successful of the friends that you had in terms of doing that kind of thing. But really, we just scratched the surface ourselves. But I I know what you mean. And it, it, it definitely, even just looking at this album in particular, I really saw elements of you know reading into the history a little bit more i saw elements of of our own experiences in what the band was going through on on a smaller scale that's the basic the gist of it really just on a smaller scale uh do you have a favorite maybe two or three albums from your collection that you still listen to and uh do you have a favorite couple albums that appear on this list in your vinyl collection you know actually what I, one i don't have on vinyl that probably i would still buy it if i got it uh or i could come across it would be this album would be london calling it i don't actually own it on vinyl but it oh, is wow. it is on this list and it is the reason i said i'd love to chat about it is because it's one of my one of my most favorite i actually it's funny i don't have it i think i think uh punk albums in particular are a little more difficult to come across yeah that's one thing yeah highly more highly collectible um but uh, mm-hmm. if I had to pick, that's a really good question. For me, it's a big nostalgia thing. But the Joshua Tree by U two, I I must I just listened to that yeah. thing endlessly as a kid. I wore out copies of it, and my my mom loved it, and my dad loved it, and it was just it was on in my house all the time. And so <laughs> that one's still a big one for me. That it's it sits on my on my record shelf. And then uh, there was a one of the more recent ones was an album in 1998 by a Swedish hardcore band called Refused. Um, the album's called the shape of punk to come. And it is one of my favorite albums as well. And, and it's, uh, it cool. still sits there on my shelf as well. So I've, yeah, I've got a bunch, but that's tough. It's hard to pick like a favorite. I can't even, I don't know. That's a really <laughs> tough one. Well, that sounds like a good spot to stop for now. Dustin, we can't wait to talk to you more when we discuss the clashes, London calling coming up on Saturday.
If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Send us a message at our Facebook page, on Instagram, or through our SoundLogic Podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening.